Well, hi, diddly-ho, neighborinos. Hope you're having a fantastic April. On today's episode, we want to try to catch up on some of the questions that you, as the listener, have sent in on topics like the age of the earth, the difference between the Christian and Muslim Jesus, or Isa in Islam, if AI systems that resembled humans could be saved, the supposed 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, and as many more as we have time to get to in one episode. Locally dokely, let's get the show on the road. Welcome everybody to the Beards and Bible Podcast. My name's Josh, and I'm joined by Gabe. Gabe, how how goes it this morning? On your side of the woods, it's going well. It's going well. Um, okay. How's uh, how's little Binks doing? Is he still outside? <laughs> yeah, Binks is still outside using the bathroom. So, yeah, any any day now, I'm going to hear him scratching at the door. I'm going to have to get up and go let him in. So, yeah. Mm. You know, oh, there, wait, there he is. Yeah, you, you stay right. Nothing. Okay. Yeah, you're good. Go ahead, get okay. get Binks. Okay. Nothing. Uh. <laughs> Josh has once again left the microphone so I can commandeer the episode. But nothing brings out the sophisticated eighth grade humor in me than watching a dog hunched over in someone's front yard dropping a landmine. So, yeah, okay, what, that's what I, what I today's episode. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And <laughs> Were you just wasting just time? Or? I just answered all the questions that we're going to answer today. Oh, hey, I feel like... If you're watching on YouTube, do you think our YouTube listen, watchers want to see Binks? Uh, I don't. I have no clue. Maybe, yeah, it wouldn't hurt. Yeah, yeah. hey, come here, Binks. Here, let's, let's pull him up. Is Binks, Binks is your hairless cat, right? No? Okay, it's there he is. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're watching on YouTube and you're wondering, every time I record from home, who is it that's disrupting things? There he is. No. Hey Binks, he can't hear me, can he? No, Binks. he doesn't have headphones. Also, he's like 12, he's, 12 years old. Yeah, he's he's twelve. He's an old. He's no dog. What is that in dog years? I can't do math. So. Two hundred and ten. No, was that uh, eighty? Eighty-six. Eighty-six. Eighty-four. I don't know. Mm. Seven times twelve. You're looking at a. You're looking at a World War II veteran of a dog <laughs> right there. <laughs> He stormed the beaches of Normandy. <laughs> exactly. You, you let him poop as long as he wants to poop. I, I'm telling you, sometimes he probably goes out and has flashbacks of other traumatic things that have happened to him in his life, so he's not even mm. realizing what's going on. So Nice. Anyway. Well, how how are you doing? Uh, you've had an eventful week, huh? Yeah. With the yeah. weather and... Man, we're, we're doing good. We're So our community got hit by tornadoes uh, Friday night. Um and our property on our side of uh, the community that we live in called Reedyville was fortunately um, spared, but it touched down about five miles from us, and it was a EF2 tornado with 130-mile-an-hour winds and um, just ripped through downtown community. I mean, buildings that have been up since 1812 and 1820 – completely flattened wow so um yeah man it's pretty it's that's pretty 
um, I think disheartening for everybody that lives around here, but especially for the people that have grown up here, you know, yeah. and obviously the people that lost their business or their home or, um, we were very fortunate in that there were no losses of life. And so that's something to be very, 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 very thankful for. So, um, yeah. Was anyone in your church affected by like had damage on their home or anything? We had a couple of, uh, folks that had like a, you know, a barn, get a, a roof torn off or fences, you know, get torn up. But, uh, fortunately yeah. nobody had any major, major damage. Mm. And, um, we've had a lot of folks from the church join work crews to, to start clean up with it, um, which has been pretty cool to see just the community coming together, um, for mm. that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how tornadoes will like completely skip. Like it was headed towards us and then it jumped and then it touched back down. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I talked with somebody on Sunday morning that was almost, almost feeling like survivor's guilt, I guess. Like why not my house? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. all my neighbors mm -hmm. around me got hit, but I didn't. Yeah. So, yeah, man, wild. tornadoes are tornadoes are pretty pretty wild. It's crazy how like you just you know very little notice, like you have just seconds, maybe minutes of notice. Yeah, we um we moved to you know we didn't have uh, tornadoes in Central Florida um, when we lived down there. Really, anywhere in Florida, you never you rarely have tornadoes. And then we moved to Southern Alabama. You, it's the likelihood of tornadoes are a little bit more. You know, they're a little bit more present. So. Um, when we bought a house here, we found a house that had a basement, and Stacy was like all about it. Stacy gets um, what I call tornado nose, where she <laughs> like she will kind of look around, look out the window, open the front door, and kind of sniff the air. And uh, yeah, as soon as our alarms go off, man, like everybody goes to the basement, and not only like humans, but like we're talking two guinea pigs. <laughs> what is it? Four cats. Now Gosh. we have a, a sparrow that that we have rescued out of the backyard that has a broken a leg. So, yeah, yeah. Does he have a little like a little crutches and a cast on him? Is he well, a broken leg? Is he in a wheelchair? Uh, no, but Stacy was talking about making, um, taking a Q-tip and cutting off the fuzzy ends and making a little um, splint for him. So we'll see. <laughs> but no, he's a really cute little sparrow, and I mean, I just he is he's a lucky little guy that he happened to be found because uh, yeah, he happened Anyways. to be found by your wife of all people, the mm -hmm. most caring person mm -hmm. for animals. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. So we all we all fled to the basement. There was a you know there was a band of tornadic weather that that went through and produced some tornadoes here in Dothan as well. And so we we went to uh, the basement and hunkered down a little bit. Was that this past weekend? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, oh, this past wow. week. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, that's crazy. How how you doing besides that? Besides the hunkering down with the sparrows and guinea pigs and <laughs> and. Uh, I'm doing good. And we're getting ready for a Passover starts tonight. We have a hundred yeah. and hundred and thirty people coming to like a Passover Seder banquet tonight. So we're uh, wow. we're getting geared up for that. It's going to be a pretty neat experience and kind of set up. So basically, yeah, man. You know the the building in which we meet has been converted to like a banquet hall, basically. So it's mm -hmm. it's really pretty in there. Um, a lot of people have done a great job decorating for it. And, now is that yeah. officially tonight? Is Passover, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. on the Jewish calendars tonight? Okay. Yep, yep. Starts at sundown tonight, which is, you know, as we're recording this, it's April the 5th, Wednesday, April the 5th, so. Okay. 
We're doing yeah. a Passover dinner with our in-laws on Friday, so I didn't know Sweet. which day specifically it was. And you taught me this years ago. Is it Hag Hag Samach? Yeah, Hag uh, Sameach. Hag. Hag Sameach. Hag Sameach. There you go. Happy Passover. Yeah. 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 Well, you would say. Uh, like Chag Sameach is just kind of like, you know, happy celebration. Oh, Chag okay. is a celebration or like a festival. And Sameach means to like be happy, celebrate. So, um, wow. You, you would say Chag Pesach Sameach. <laughs> Chag Pesach Sameach. Okay. Yeah, Pesach is like Passover. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, the Hebrew lesson for the day. Are you, so you're officiating the whole thing, you're leading the whole thing for everybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's easy. It's just like there's a book you just read. Basically, it's called a Haggadah, yeah. and you just you read through the Haggadah. It's like a scripted thing that you know has all these different, uh, like in the ta- in the middle of the table has all these different physical objects that are like um, object lessons that are to remind us of something in the past, like you know the redemption from Egypt. But yeah, as believers in Christ, we we obviously tie in the gospel and the crucifixion because he died on Passover and. Um, a lot of these symbols actually end up pointing to him, as John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and mm-hmm. redeemed us from the bondage of sin. So we make it, you know, uh, about the liberation from Egypt, but but even more so about the liberation from uh, the bondage of sin and death and, and the grave. So, Wow. Yeah. I heard this the other day. I don't know. Can you confirm this is true? And if you've heard this or mm-hmm. have you haven't, that... Jewish families, when they would celebrate Passover, they would slaughter the lamb all at the same time, and that would be around 9 in the morning. And then they would start to prepare the lamb in terms of like cooking and roasting at 3 in the afternoon, and then they would all be ready to eat by the evening. And this individual was tying that in to the crucifixion of Jesus, how he went to the cross at 9 how he died at three and then how he was buried in the evening. Yeah, there's something to that. Although, you know, during the temple times and during the time of the crucifixion, you would not have slaughtered the lamb in your home. You would have taken it to the temple. And so Mm. you would have this mass, like, slaughtering of lambs going on in the temple pretty much all day because you probably had upwards of a million worshipers coming uh, to, to bring in a Passover offering. Right. And then you would take your lamb and, and take it home. Um, so that, yeah, that would have been going on all day. But yeah, even more than that is those times on which he died, those significant events were recorded in the Gospels on purpose because they also correspond to the, just the daily prayer times of, of uh, an observant Jew, uh, which is hmm. um, morning, uh, afternoon, and evening at particular hours. If you do, I actually went through the entire Bible and, and cataloged all the uh the third third six ninth hours and mentions of those third six ninth hours and i made like a, a word document of everything that happened on the third six ninth hour and um it's really really cool it's kind of significant hmm. but those are prayer times um and god moves significantly throughout the entire bible the third six ninth hour just you know from from beginning to the end of the Bible, uh, so it's a really wow. cool study if you ever want to embark on that. Super interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, um, speaking of interesting, we got a bunch of interesting questions today. 
Um, mm. Yeah. And so Gabe and I have said that we're going to get to as many as we can in the course of about an hour. So mm. this is a pretty ambitious task, but we're going to try. <laughs> so, um, yeah, these are all questions you guys have sent in. And, yeah, a lot of them are a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of them probably <laughs> constitute an episode in and of themselves, so we may spin yeah. off and do an episode. But, um, yeah. So Gabe has the mm. odd questions, and I mm-hmm. have the even questions. So Yeah. Odd in terms of numbers and odd in terms of... No, just kidding. They're, they're really good <laughs> just questions. Just odd questions, yeah. Yeah, yeah. very odd questions. Yeah. No, they're good questions. They're great do questions. We know, do we know who sent these in? Is there a name associated with these? Or you know, kinda... at one point there were, but you know, okay. when we had the um, mailbag request yeah. back in December, I got a flood of questions from a bunch of people, and they all got kind of jumbled together. So mm. this is kind of playing catch up from that because we had more questions sent in than we had time to answer back in December. So you're saying we're still working through the questions we got in December. Yes. So. so when's the last time you checked our mailbox? Is it? I check it. I check it often. So we're caught up. <laughs> we can oh, answer okay, all these. Good, we're good. caught up. So, yeah. All right. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> kind of caught up. There's been others that I've been like, oh, what a what an interesting question. <laughs> so we we have 13 questions here, but we're we're likely not going to get through all these in yeah. one hour. But we'll get as far as we can. There you go. Um, you want me to take a stab at number one? Do it. Okay. Number one. It is two-part question. How old is the Earth, and did humans live with dinosaurs? It's a very good question. Whoever sent this in, it's one that I often hear. Uh, let's start with how old is the Earth. Uh, no idea. <laughs> now, the Bible describes the Earth. We can we can take genealogical accounts that are found within the Bible. Uh, and and bring at least the creation back to around 6,000 years. Um, now, the, the book of Genesis describes the earth as being tohu vavohu, which is uh, formless and void. It doesn't put a time stamp on that tohu vavohu, so we don't know that could be in the trillions of years, uh, but that could also just be one day. So how old is the earth? I don't know, but it seems evident according to the Bible that creation and God working with the earth and and everything in between is around 6,000 years old. Did humans live with dinosaurs? Of course. Uh, I've lived with dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) Dinosaurs is a, dinosaur is a very unscientific term. Uh, It, it is not, it is not used by modern biologists in any way. Dinosaurs, um, is a, it was a it was an evo- evolutionary loaded term uh, given to a class of reptiles that are very large and thought to pre-exist humanity. Um, but if you look at the Bible through a biblical worldview, or look at the world through a biblical worldview um, and creation through a biblical worldview, uh, dinosaurs um, are just large carnivorous reptiles. And if you've ever lived in Florida, any body of water <laughs> is full of large carnivorous reptiles. And now we have an abundance of different, like back, you know, 50 years ago, you'd say, oh, just alligators. Okay. But now Floridians have to deal with like Nile crocodiles that are coming in through the Everglades and invading the Everglades. You have, you have, you have, um, different types of, uh, of, um, Burmese pythons and pythons that are now eating the alligators. Um, and they're having a big problem with that now. 
So, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly believe that humans live with dinosaurs and it's not a big deal because, you know, we see in Hollywood how Jurassic Park portrays dinosaurs and all this other stuff. Like if you if you ever lived a day back then, you know, it's like you you were dealing with um, you had to be like, you know, on your toes 24 seven. But I don't, I don't know that that's what it was like. I think um, humans probably hunted dinosaurs uh, to near extinction. I keep using that term, but these these large iconic dinosaurs you know we probably hunted them to near extinction if not complete extinction um both for food and ways of like you know honor killing these things and Hmm. and what have you but yeah there may have been some 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 climate change that happened too which is completely natural and cyclical for our earth to experience that may have that you know taken out entire swaths of these large carnivorous reptiles but yeah, I have no problem with that um, because it's it's a fact of life. Even to today, we live with large carnivorous reptiles. So yeah. we navigate around them. We kill them. We we almost hunted alligators to extinction even before, um, you know, there was a huge population in the United States of America. So, um, yeah, absolutely. What do you think, Josh? Yeah. God, that's a super interesting topic. I think with dinosaurs, that's a really interesting thing to think through in terms of like um, did we live with dinosaurs? I think what's compelling is almost every culture across the generations um, has some sort of a folklore and mythology about dragons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like there's European dragons, there's Chinese dragons, there's dragons and, um, you know, Babylonian writings and stuff like that. So I think that's pretty interesting because I think that obviously fire-breathing reptiles, that's not scientific and we've never discovered that but i think that folklore had to be based on some reality for it to be shared and so where did we get that concept as human beings of you know these big massive giant reptiles that you know saint george slew the dragon right where do we get that and i would say it's probably because at some point in our history that there were these big massive reptiles that (laughs) you know so that's just interesting to think about you know, we think we think like okay, yeah. If I lived around a T Rex, you know, if there's T Rex is still on the Earth right now, it'd be horrible. What do you know that hippos kill? Hippos are the deadliest animals. They kill like 500 yeah. people a year. Yeah, Hippopotamus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a very unglamorous way to die too. No, he was oh, killed yeah. by a hippo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and I think something else to think to, to, to a lot of the like pictures that we see in. Um, science textbooks or you know hey this fossil is looked exactly like this we don't really know that Hmm. because Hmm. a lot of like paleontology um you know recreating what we think a dinosaur would look like based on bones that would be what's called uh in the military a wag which is a wild a guess (laughs) Like there's a lot of scientists that think, I mean, that like every sing, every few years they'll come up with, hey, we don't think T-Rex actually had those little tiny arms because like <laughs> even if you believe in the theory of evolution, those arms serve no purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, why would they have arms? Those arms couldn't do much, right? Um, basically, like a lot of the dinosaurs that we see were just, paleontologists taking bones and then trying to reassemble what they thought the animal looked like. Mm -hmm. So yes, there were dinosaurs. There were big 
terrible lizards. That's what that word means. But um, in terms of what exactly they look like, that's kind of a wag. I mean, we, we, we're kind of looking at the crime scene from a long time ago and then trying to recreate what does that, what does that look like? And it may not be as mm-hmm. long ago as we think. Um, in terms of the age of the earth, um, man, I, I think that, um, I agree with you. 6,000 years seems to be like humanity and civilization and the interactions of God with humanity. But in terms of the age of the earth, I think that uh, Christians should be willing to consider interpretations of Genesis 1 and have an open mind with that. Um, Because Genesis 1 translates the Hebrew word yom, which often refers to 24-hour days in other contexts as kind of an unspecified period of time. So in Genesis 2-4, it says, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And in Genesis 2-4, day refers to the entire creative work of the entire uh, six days of creation. And so you see that word yom used all throughout the scriptures uh, to mean a period of time, like Psalm 20, uh, verse 1, when the Lord answered you in the day of trouble, Proverbs 24, 10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So, um, yeah, it kind of seems like day in Genesis 1 seems to be probably not a literal 24-hour day. I mean, that's just one interpretation. I I think, you know, obviously people listening to me could disagree, but um, if you just look at stuff like the expansion rate of the universe, starlight from events in the distant past, different ice layers, sediment layers at the bottom of lakes, uh, radiometric dating of rocks, um, continental separation, like you can see kind of how long that would have taken. It kind of seems like the Earth is pretty old. So Mm -hmm. like old Earth, new humanity. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like we took our kids to a cave last Thursday and we were looking at the um, stalactites and stalagmites, and we were talking about just how how slow those things grow. <laughs> and like for a stalactite or stalagmite to grow, I think a what is it like one? You're asking like I like I never. <laughs> <laughs> you're a ge- you're a geologist, right? Like yeah. a tenth of an inch is like a hundred years, right? Mm. And so you have these massive columns and stalactites and stalagmites inside the earth, and it's kind of like, yeah, there's not been enough time for those things to form if the earth is only 6,000 years old. Hmm. Um, So I don't know. I think more and more I'm leaning more towards old earth, new creation. But I could be wrong. I don't don't think it's a heaven or hell issue. I don't think it's a... (laughs) I think you can reasonably read Genesis 1 and see... Um, the earth is is old, but <clears throat> so yeah, the people I think that would take an issue with that would say um, it's not a heaven or hell issue, but are you denying the infallibility of Scripture not if at it all. says yeah? So like that's 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 the stance some people would take is like if and and if you're denying the word of god then that may, maybe that's a heaven or hell. so yeah oh, i think sure, sure, i think sure, sure. i think you did a good job of like defending your position by saying look the the day yom is hebrew hebrew is not a very scientific language at all there are words 
that oftentimes have four or five meanings associated right. with that one right. word. Now, yeah. Greek, Greek, Latin, very, very concise scientific languages, but Hebrew is such mm-hmm. a, such a, who it is, it is up, you have to really depend on the context. And even then, sometimes it's like, wow, it could be that, you know, well, it could be different, different I things. Think, I think when it becomes like a, a doctrinal issue is when someone starts to entertain ideas of like Darwinistic evolutionary, mm-hmm. you know, almost, and, and even like delving into like theistic evolution, mm. like, because that's when you start getting into like the Imago Dei, right? The image and likeness of God. You right. know, I guess we came from... No, I'm not saying that at all. Um, and and I'm, hey, listen, I could be way off. I could be wrong. The Bible is my source, not, not you know, somewhere, somewhere, some, you know, secular humanist that wrote a science textbook. But what I'm saying is from the descriptions in the Bible when it describes the creation narrative, it just seems like there's a little bit more going on mm-hmm. when those days are described <laughs> than those being literal 24-hour days. Um, in the sense that even some of those days, that's before like there's sun and moon created, right? Mm-hmm. So how could that be a literal 24-hour days if some of those days are before the sun and the moon are created, right? So those couldn't be solar days if there's no sun or moon. <laughs> so that that's where I'm getting at. I'm not saying that, you know, well, based on all this science, I think the Bible's wrong. I'm saying, you know, based on what I'm reading in the Scripture, I think there's a little more going on in the text than that. Um, yeah, and you'll, you'll find uh, biblical, I would, I would say, f- strict fundamentalist who would say that we interpret science through the Bible, whereas... I would say you can harmonize science in the Bible without compromising on either one. Correct. They yeah. should be, if if it is true, pure, unadulterated science, mm-hmm. you should be able to harmonize the Bible and science because science is the recorded observation of the natural world right. in, its, in its untainted state. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens is sometimes money gets involved with science, and then you get right. pollution of science. And, but, and ideology gets involved in science. and yeah. Right, bias and all that right, stuff. So right, right. You want, if it's free of that, you should be able to completely, because the Bible explains the origin and the purpose of reality. Science mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is a recorded observation of what is real around us. You right. should be able to 100% harmonize the two. Yeah. But there are people, and we talked about this in our Flat Earth uh, episode uh, man, that's been a couple of years, or a year and a half ago. Yeah. I don't even I know. But it's like there are people that I would say, well, no, the Bible trumps observable science. Right. And it's like, well, they should be able – one does not trump the other. If if they are both free of bias, they should be able to harmonize each other perfectly. Yeah, yeah and, and, and listen, like um, I am very much open-minded about this. Like I, at the end of the day – to me, it doesn't matter. I believe that God created the world, <laughs> right? He created mm-hmm. everything we see. How he did it, I don't know. But it kind of seems like he did it in a way that made it to where that the earth was here for a long time before humans were. That's what I'm seeing mm-hmm. from the scriptures. That's what I'm seeing from um, the natural revelation that God has revealed his handiwork in the world around us. So I could be mm-hmm. wrong. I don't know. That's what I see. Um, so I'm open-minded about it. I think a really good resource is um, there's a podcast called Unbelievable with Justin Briley is the name of the guy. And there's a about two and a half hour debate between old earth and young earth creationists. Mm. Um, 
and when I say debate, it's a very civil conversation from um, two groups that are both Bible-believing, love Jesus, know the Scriptures, and also are scientists. And so they're uh, presenting kind of what they see from the Scriptures and then presenting what they see from the scientific record to kind of harmonize with it. And it's a fascinating conversation. And, man, I have a tremendous amount of respect from uh, people from both sides. So um, Mm. it's just, I I don't know, it's a very fascinating uh, conversation. But uh, Hugh Ross is a guy that recently um, I've been reading some of his stuff, and it just kind of, I don't know, really made a lot of sense to me. Uh, the, The book he wrote about this topic is called A Matter of Days. So, um yeah. Well, we're good. Well, we're only 30 minutes, 27 minutes in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we have one, one question down. Okay. Yeah, there you go. That Your was turn. a big one probably, I think. This one's probably yeah. a little bit easier. Uh, this is something entirely different, and it is how do you find balance in getting personal time versus time for family and ministry? Hmm. So um, to be honest, and I think Gabe would probably answer the same way, personal time in this season of life is a pretty rare commodity. I've got three young kids and a growing church. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty rare. I don't get a ton of personal time, but there are a few ways that I've been able to find time to work it in. I, I think something that's really important to keep in mind is, like, every human being out there needs, at some level, personal time. Mm-hmm. That's men, women, husbands, wives, moms, and dads. But I think the great temptation that we all face is to be selfish and take time away from our families and our spouses and our household responsibilities or our work responsibilities or ministry responsibilities in order to have time for ourselves. It just kind of seems like we're naturally wired to be selfish and want to go for me time first, right? (laughs) And I've seen a lot of people get really selfish In the name of, I just need me time, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. ah, I don't know if that's right. So um, I would say that that's being really selfish to take time away from the people that you should be giving your time to in order for yourself, but you still need it yourself. So I think you have to be very, very disciplined, strategic, and intentional with how you use your time if your time is a scarce commodity. Um, so number one, you can't waste it. Um you can't take it from other places in the name of pouring into yourself. And so the answer is you have to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined in order for you to be able to have the freedom to use your time on yourself guilt-free. And what I mean by this is without discipline, you're just going to end up taking time away from someplace else. And so your personal time becomes less rewarding because you just feel guilty the whole time. Mm-hmm. You tracking with that? You know, husband guilt. You know, dad, dad guilt, <laughs> <laughs> pastor guilt, all those guilts. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So yeah. I th- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Well, I was, okay. was going to say, yeah. There's like two sides of this coin. It's like one is uh, I don't. One one is I, d- I don't have limitations on how much time I I, I use on myself. Like I, I'm using too much time so selfishly, using too much time for myself when I should be putting other things, you know, before that. Then the other side of the coin would be I don't ever have the discipline to make time for myself and my family. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Yeah. So just like practical for for me personally, 
Um, number one, getting up early in the morning before the rest of my family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have to get up early if I want time <laughs> in the Bible to read, to pray, to be silent, and to, to be alone. I have to. Um, I know some people listening, they're like, well, I'm not a morning person. Well, you want personal time and you're in a busy season, you've got to be a morning person because you don't have any other time. Mm-hmm. Um, running, for me, is a good way to get personal time. So at the end of my work day, at least three times a week, I run before I get home. And this helps me kind of like flush out my mind from all the craziness mm-hmm. of my day and prepare me for second shift. Second shift is being a dad and a husband. And so um, exercise is a really good way to get personal time. Uh, a few times a year, I think I need to do it more often. Um, I take a day to fast, pray, and disappear in the woods for the entire day. Mm. And you have to plan it. You have to put it on the calendar months in advance. You have to tell everybody, hey, <laughs> this day is coming up. This is what I'm doing. And um, and my uh, the office manager at our church, Gina, and my wife both sometimes conspire and say, Josh needs to take a day out in the woods because he's always different when he does that. Um, and it's true. I am. It's a, it's a good reset for me. And, uh, that's a good way to do it. And then hunting in November and December, pretty much every weekend I'm out in the woods. And, uh, again, cause time is scarce. I have to do it early in the morning. So I have to get up around four, four thirty, and I'm in the woods from about five to eight thirty, nine o'clock. And something about being in the woods when the sun comes up is deeply, deeply, deeply transformative and healing for me. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's kind of how I find it. You got to find it where you got it. You can't just take it from other places and and then say, "Well, I'm me time." Well, you you should be actually loving your kids and serving your wife. So, if you want me time, then you've got to be disciplined and find it. So, mm-hmm. there you go. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I I, I wake up early as well and I get to before my rest of my family is up yeah I get out and head to the gym and then I head to work and yeah the going, even just going to the gym is like yeah it's healthy and all that stuff but it's also just I put earbuds in and I just do my yep. thing and the gym it's 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 just like church gym it's associated with a, yeah. a Baptist church in town so it's oh, like nice. it's like me and like three other old guys you know and it's <laughs> it's just really nice and quiet and I yeah, just kind of get in the zone and uh yeah but yeah, you're right. You you do have to carve out time uh, in the weekends to you know at least once or twice a month go somewhere with your family or or just unplug. Um, another thing too that my wife and I instituted a couple years back is, and we do this religiously every Thursday night is our date night, mm. um, and we pawn the kids off on somebody, and usually my mom. Thank you, mom. <laughs> And we go out on a date for two to three hours, and that has been a lot of fun and just just awesome. So yeah, try that. That's awesome. Yeah, we have date night, but we we stay here at the house. <laughs> All right, TMI. <laughs> <laughs> right. Have you remember that? What's that Need to Breathe song? Let's just uh, stay home tonight. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We could put a couple records on. Mm. All right, let's move on quickly here. Number three. Should we go to number three? Do it. Yes. The Amer- the American church is obviously struggling to live up to the calling it has received in plenty of ways. Uh, are there places that you see the big C church succeeding? Um, this is a good question. And I'm assuming when they say are there places that they're not talking geographically, but 
rather ideologically or practically speaking? <laughs> are there ways? Oh, you got the hiccups? I don't know. I, I drink you got my the coffee hiccups in the really middle fast. of my question. That's yeah, so, so rude. I'm sorry. Oh, I haven't been drinking. Uh, <laughs> this has been. This is water here. So yeah, keep going. Okay. The Amer- okay. So is the, the American church is struggling? Yes, I would say in the United States of America, the church is struggling. Uh, but are there places in which you see the church succeeding? And I'm assuming they're talking maybe maybe in the West or in North America. Um, man, this was a tough question, and maybe you could add some to this. But uh, I hate to be a pessimist. <laughs> I'm just going to say no. <laughs> but the church in America is at a crossroads, a very difficult crossroads right now. And the sign in the middle of that crossroads is it reads biblical sexuality and there's an arrow pointing one way and then it reads sex with anybody and everybody and then there's an arrow pointing the other way. That's what is up against the church right now and I think that the church um, – is going to see a deep division over that particular issue in the next five to ten years. Um, is it succeeding in the United States of America? Are, are there ways in which it's succeeding? Josh, I think I, I really scratch of all the questions. I really scratch my head over this one the most because hmm. um, I love the fact that in my town, for instance, there's around two hundred and two hundred and fifty churches. I love that. I think that's good. I think that's healthy. But at the same time, in my town, there is still a high level of drug abuse, homelessness, domestic violence, suicide, crime, you name it. Hmm. And I hate to say this, but I'm, I, I, as, as I got these questions, I have had the hardest time thinking up ways in which the American church is succeeding. And I found, I found one, I think. And that is, there are ministries in my town that we support as a, as a congregation. We, we support both physically and monetarily that are doing things like helping women um, um, who want to withdraw and, 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 and getting women out of the sex trade industry, hmm. human trafficking, um, drug addiction. Um, I think that's a big opportunity for the American church right now is um, helping people who are addicted. Such a, such a problem right now, um, chemical addiction. Um, and I think that's, that's an area in which we are succeeding. Now, are we succeeding like I would hope we're succeeding? Probably not. But um, that is a huge opportunity, and there are, there are organizations and there are human beings that are just busting it to help other humans uh, who are suffering, who are addicted, who are, who are broken. And I think hmm. that's, that's definitely an area in which we're succeeding. Yeah. But we could be succeeding more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what yeah. I'm curious, what, do you have any ways in which we're succeeding? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that is a hard one to answer. Um, Man, I, I tell you, like, it is very, it is very much in your face all the ways that we're not succeeding mm-hmm. um, when we look at what's yeah. going on in the world right now. And I think that sometimes what gets all the press is bad press. 
Mm-hmm. And so when you look at church scandals across the, the board for the American church, when you look at some of the misplaced priorities, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of churches that seem like they're, they're building empires and enterprises instead of actually doing what Jesus has called them to do, that's disheartening. Um, but in the same way, I think there there are faithful churches, there, there are pockets of faithful believers across this nation who are, number one, preaching the gospel mm-hmm. and, and actually sticking with the truth, and then number two, they're being salt and light in their communities. Mm. Um, and, and so, you know, sadly, those aren't the churches you're going to read about on the news. Those are going to be the churches you probably never hear of, right? Um, the ones that are just doing what Jesus is calling them to do, just being obedient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I have been encouraged by probably in the last five or six years is there has been a wave of church planning initiatives mm. in the sense that I think less and less churches are just seeing the feasibility of building these massive structures built around one single leader that just grows mm-hmm. and grows and grows. They're just kind of reading the tea leaves and going, hey, that model's not really sustainable because when that one central leader ages out and retires, this you know, massive complex of a building is going to probably be unsustainable to keep up because the fuel that you know <laughs> helps us keep it up is this one personality. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so more and more, I think you're seeing churches that understand if God gives you growth, you got to steward it by planting other churches. Mm. And that's encouraging. Because that feels yeah. a lot more like the Book of Acts than, hey, let's build this monstrous facility that's built around one person, right? Apollo mm. <laughs> <laughs> <I say> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's. I, I think another another forefront, which I think we're we're gaining ground. Although I think we've got to be very careful that it doesn't backfire on us because um, it has a has a high potential to it is is abortion in the United Indian yes, abortion amen. in the United States of America. Amen. Yeah. Um, but we've got to we've got to educate, educate, educate. Like the next generation needs to know. Okay, look, we made some we made some big political gains in this area. But let's talk about why. Why is that important? Mm-hmm. And how do we keep this? And 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 is this human life? And is this is this worth protecting? Um, yep. Is this a hill that we want to die on? And we need to we need to educate the next generation. We need to educate people around us as to why we are pro life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a big that's a big success. Yeah. No, amen. Amen. Yeah, so that wasn't too pessimistic of an answer. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I was worried about that. No. Is, I hope it wasn't discouraging. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. There's always a remnant, right? Like, there's always faithful people of God anywhere, even when Elijah's like, I'm the only one left. God's like, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> right. So there's faithful Christians serving the Lord. It's just... Often, you know, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Like the ones that get all the press are probably, um, you know, the the media is not going to report on a church that's just loving and serving the community faithfully year after year after year after year. And there's not one mm-hmm. glamorous, high profile leader that's, you know, in his three thousand dollars sneakers saying bombastic <laughs> stuff on the stage, right? So, uh, next question. This can be a quick one. I know this can be tough because you don't want to give a blanket endorsement, but what is some content you consume? Books and authors are fine, but specifically maybe podcasts and YouTube. 
Um, hmm. It's a podcast. I'll just rattle off a couple that I listened to. I had to go on my Spotify and look at all the ones I subscribed to. Um, there's a guy named Mike Winger who has a great podcast I really enjoy. Um, the guy's from Remnant Radio. It's pretty cool. I got to meet some of those guys recently at a conference here in the Nashville area. Uh, Cultish is pretty good. It's a show that they kind of examine cults and extreme beliefs. Um, there's a podcast called Unbelievable with Justin Brierley, and I mentioned that earlier, where they basically go and take doctrinal issues or cultural issues and then examine it from both sides. So sometimes they'll have a guest that disagrees with another guest, and he kind of moderates a conversation. It's pretty cool. Mm. Uh, the Bulletins put out by CT Media, um, just kind of current events. They do a weekly episode. Um, sometimes those get a little too woke for me, just to be honest. But uh, sometimes they're they're pretty solid. Um, hmm. Ask Me Anything by J.D. Greer. Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. Uh, the Naked Bible by Dr. Michael Heiser, which he passed away earlier this year. Hmm. So rest in peace, Dr. Heiser. But uh, you can still listen to all his archived episodes. Uh, the Bible Project by Tim Mackey. Um, the Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Do you listen to his podcast, D. Rutt's podcast? I don't. I didn't know that existed. It's interesting. Yeah. So Dr. Rutland was the president of uh, Southeastern where Gabe and I went to school, and we listened to him preach every chapel, <laughs> it seemed like, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. years. So uh, you can hear some archive sermons and some of his leadership talks. Pretty cool. Uh, the Village Church, Matt Chandler. Carrie um, Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Uh, there's a show that my wife absolutely loves, and uh, she listens to all the time. And so every now and again, I listen to uh, the John Deloney Show. He's with the Ramsey Group. And uh, I spoke at the Ramsey Group a couple, I guess last month, Apparently, he was in the audience, and I didn't get a chance to meet him. But anyway, he's apparently a really cool guy. I've never met him personally. but um, And then some fun ones that I'll listen to. I really enjoy Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell. Um, History That Doesn't Suck, that's a good one. This American Life. Bandsplain? It's got some really... <laughs> Have you ever heard Bandsplain? No, no. Okay, so Bandsplain is a fun one. And listen, like, I'm not giving a, like, green light, hey, go listen to it, because, like, um, these are not Christian people. They sometimes cuss. They take a band, and they talk about the history of the band, how the band came about, and then interspersed, they'll be like, okay, so here's this album that you two did. Let's listen to track blank off of this album, and then they'll listen to... Track so basically it's like you're you're sitting down with music critics and going through the whole catalog of a band, so the episode is like three or four hours. So they've done U two, they've done The Cure. I'm listening to one on Sunny Day Real Estate. It's it's fun, so it's a good one to listen to while you're on a run or on a mower. So um, pretty cool. Yeah, those are podcasts I enjoy. Do you want to add well, to any podcasts you listen to? Yeah, I listen to. Um a really cool one called everything everywhere. Now this isn't like related to the Bible in any way. It's just his, it's history. It's kind of just everything everywhere. It's really cool, but they're short episodes about 10 to 12 minutes long. Um, listen to that. Um, Mike Rowe from dirty jobs actually has a podcast. Um, hmm. the way I heard it. It's really good. Really cool. But yeah, 
Josh, I got a six-year-old here who wants breakfast, so I'm gonna have you, I'm gonna pass number five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah hook yeah, him yeah. up, and you go to number six. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go to number six. All right. Okay. So Gabe is uh, going to get his six-year-old breakfast, but um, I just gotta tell you guys, as the listeners, what's really going on. He texted me while we're recording, and he said, "I don't know if I can read the text on on air, but he said, skip my next question and go to six. <laughs> I'm about to poop myself. So <laughs> really what's going on, you can't see it, is Gabe and I, we get up early in the morning, we drink really strong coffee, and then we hop on this like hour and 15 minute video chat. Well, if you know the human body, you know most of the time you can't make it that long. So he says he's going to get breakfast for a six-year-old. Not true. And he's not going to know that I told you guys this until he goes back and listens to this episode. So anyway, what a good friend am I. To tell you guys that. All right, so we'll go to six. Uh, well, actually, I was also asked books. Um, let me just give you some books I'm reading right now. I'm reading a lot of commentaries on John's Gospel. Um, I'm reading, I just finished a book called Jack Henson's One Man War, uh, A Civil War Sniper. Fascinating history about a Confederate sniper during the Civil War. Just finished a book called In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nowen. Uh, the Advantage by Patrick Lencioni, a book called Counterfeit Kingdom by Holly Pevick and Douglas Givett about uh, kind of the New Age movement infiltrating the charismatic movement. Uh, just finished a book called The King James Only Controversy by James White, Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. <laughs> it's a great little book. You can read it in 30 minutes. Um, I'm reading a novel right now by Frank Peretti. He's one of my favorite novelists called House, and that's a lot of fun. And uh, I enjoy reading. I was an English teacher for many years. So um, if you ever want to sit down and we can do a book club together, I'd love that. So anyway, yeah, those are some of the podcasts and uh, books that I enjoy. And so does Gabe. So I'm skipping Gabe's question and going to number six. And here was the question for number six. Muslims claim they believe in Jesus too. They are also waiting for his return. What is a good strategy for making the distinction between the Christian Jesus and the Muslim Isa, which is what Islam calls Jesus, because they believe he's a prophet, while walking in spirit and truth? Oh, there he is. Hey, Gabe. Hey, <laughs> I can tell. I can tell by the way you're looking. <laughs> oh, breakfast for your six-year-old, huh? That's what you were I doing? Can I can tell by the way you said, oh, hey, Gabe. <laughs> That you shared what I texted you, <laughs> you jerk. Listen, i i have my I have my normal protein powder, yeah, muscle milk mm -hmm. that I take every morning, and then I ran out of that, so I switched to Stacy's protein powder. Ooh. That is like, and let me just tell you, I think the fiber content's a little bit higher in that one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Anyways, um, yeah. wow, this is a little bit. Hey, listen. Everybody, everybody poops, right? There's a great mm. work of literature that tells us this. Except our wives. Our wives don't poop. Okay, my wife's a nurse, <laughs> so <laughs> there's no shame in our household. My wife's a nurse. Mm. Okay, so we were talking about the difference between the Jesus of the Bible, the Christian Bible, and the Jesus mm. of the Quran called Isa. What are the differences there? Well, the Jesus of the Quran is not the Son of God, the Father. Muslims find that highly blasphemous, that God would have a son. Um, and so that's probably the biggest difference. Uh, the Jesus of the Quran 
was created basically just like any other man. Um, so it, this is interesting. Even though Jesus of the Quran was created just like any other man, they, they don't really believe in the incarnation, like the Jesus of the Christian Bible. The Jesus of the Quran apparently spoke as an infant, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, just kind of a tidbit there. Uh, the Jesus of the Quran was not really described as some sort of a messianic figure like we would see Jesus as Christians. Um, the Jesus of the Quran was a prophet, just like you know Moses or John the Baptist or David or Zechariah. But the Jesus of the Quran was prophetically surpassed by Muhammad, and Muhammad is considered the ultimate prophet. So Jesus and the Quran kind of paved the way, if you will, for Muhammad. So Isa, Jesus and the Quran, doesn't set the ultimate moral example for humanity. That would be Muhammad who does that. Hmm. And even though Muslims believe that Jesus and the Quran is returning to the earth, it's a very different kind of eschatology. Uh, the Quran and the Hadith, so the Hadith would be sayings of Muhammad, they do teach a very detailed eschatology. And so Muslim theology does teach that Jesus will return to the earth. Uh, so in the second coming, they see Isa returning as a Muslim and fighting for Islam. Hmm. So, you know, anytime when people will say to me, hey, you know, like Muslims and, and Christians, you guys have so much more in common than you have alike. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably, you know, Jesus, the Jesus of Muslims and the Jesus of Christians, that's the same one. And so, you know, hey, well, here's the Hadith on the return of Isa. He, that is Isa, will descend to the earth. When you see him, recognize him, a man of medium height, reddish, fair, wearing two yellow garments, looking as if drops were falling down from his head, though it will not be wet. He will fight the people for the cause of Islam. He will break the cross, kill swine, and abolish jizya. Allah will perish all religions except Islam. He will destroy the Antichrist and will live on the earth for 40 years, and then he will die. And the Muslims will pray over him. So <clears throat> this is not the return of Christ that we believe in as Christians. Mm -hmm. um, when Jesus returns, you read this in the book of Revelation, we see him not fighting for the cause of Islam. He will fight against everyone who has rejected him. Mm. And he's not going to die a natural death. He's going to live and rule and reign forever. And so, um, yeah, there's significant differences between the Muslim Isa and the Christian Jesus. They're not the same guy. And so one of the places that I've started when I'm in Uganda and I'm witnessing to Muslims, um, most of the spiritual conversations I've had with Muslims have been in Uganda, um, which may not be an accurate um, representation of what it's like to witness to most Muslims, because most Ugandan Muslims don't actually know the Islamic faith very well at all. Hmm. But a good place I've started is, did Jesus die on the cross, or did he not? Because most Muslims will not deny that Isa went to the cross, but when it comes to him dying on the cross, that's when things get really hairy. Hmm. Because some will say that he wasn't on the cross long enough to die, which it's pretty easy to pick apart, right? 
<laughs> okay. You're nailed to a cross. Do you just get nailed and then get taken down? Um, some say that God took Jesus to heaven and then created a being who looked like Jesus, and that's who suffered and died on the cross. Some say that they just thought it was Jesus on the cross, but it wasn't really Jesus, hmm. which I always love to respond. Well, his mother was there, so did his mother confuse who that was? Uh, some people say Jesus was nailed to the cross, but because his soul was immortal, he didn't die. He just appeared to die. Um, so there's a lot of inconsistencies in the Quran about that particular topic. Did Jesus or did Isa die on the cross? Because they'll say, well, he went to the cross, but he didn't die. Okay, well, let's talk through that. Um, so again, I've only witnessed and um, had these conversations with uh, Ugandan Muslims who don't know the Quran very well. Um, so, But I've seen a couple of them convert to Christianity when you start talking about the differences there. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a verse in the Quran that, that talks about f- saying it says basically find the people who believe in the gospel they will tell you the truth the hmm. injil find the people with the injil they will they have the truth interesting uh, I met a Muslim he was actually a former cleric um, who stumbled across that asked his leaders and authority what that meant. And they didn't really understand or know, so they said, "Well, go to the go to the Christians and ask them what that hmm. means." And of course, he goes to a, a different he goes to a Christian pastor and asks him, and he's like, "Well, I'll tell you the truth." Uh, wow. But yeah, that's really really interesting. Yeah, I don't is. remember the passage with the, the reference to it in the Quran, but hmm. I never heard that. Um, yeah. So, are we ready for my uh, <laughs> my yeah. Next question? yeah 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 yeah? You can go back. You can go forward. So. Yeah, uh, so this is number five here, and how are we doing on time? We're at 57 minutes? Yeah, we got about 15 minutes. So Okay, it says, I know that grief is very real, and many will experience it in different ways. It's all true. Uh, but is there a point at which grieving can become sin, bondage, and or idolatry? If so, how can you help someone through that? Hmm. So, wow, that's a really good question, a really deep yeah, one. Um, yes, grief is very real. People experience it in different ways. And yes, there is a point in which grieving can become bondage, sin, or idolatry. Um, yes, you can you can idolize your grief. Um, it becomes like self-pity. Um, you know, you are not defined by your grief. You are defined by being born again as a new creation. Um, there are people that experience grief for a variety of different reasons. And uh, I don't want to diminish that, but at the same time, we are called to, um, you know, our, our God still heals and has the ability to heal your grief um, and to take the burden of grief off of you. And I believe that if you're not surrendering that to him, when he is willing to do that for you, that that is you holding on to something that that you're you're wanting as bondage, as idolatry, and something that defines you, which is in defiance of how God wants to define you. So yeah, I believe that can get to a point where it is sinful to hold on to that. Um, it's no longer about you 
grieving that situation. It's about you um, losing something that you feel strongly identifies who you are. And your identity is in Christ, first and foremost. Um, now, I'm, again, I'm not diminishing the fact that people have gone through some horrible, horrible things in their lives, and the grief is very real and very prominent in their lives. But I've also seen people go through horrible things and come up on the other side um, through grief and use it as a way to glorify God um, and not allow them to not allow it to identify them as a victim or anything like that. I always tell people, be careful of someone who tries to keep you a victim. You, you are not a victim in, in Christ. You're, you're, you're victorious in him. Hmm. Um, but again, I'm not, I'm not diminishing the hard things that people sure. go through. Um, but how can you help someone through that? Um, I think continually pointing them to the sacrifice, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ and telling them that pointing them to a future hope of his kingdom, the future hope of the resurrection and his return, um, and the future hope that he will make all things right and he will bind up our wounds. Um, I think reminding people of that, reminding people that in Christ they are a new creation. Um, I think I think just continually pointing them back to the gospel, continually pointing them back to the work that was done on the cross for them is one way you can help someone through that. Additionally, I think you can help someone through intense grief by just being a good listener, mm-hmm. by being present, by being a really trustworthy friend um, who is always encouraging. Um, because sometimes I think we we come out of grief, and then sometimes we go back to it. If we some you know yeah. if we experience a small level of grief, we go back to that big thing. Well, that I'm just this. That I've always just been that. You know. Mm-hmm. And I think having people around you who pull you out of that and say, no, remember, you are a new creation. Yeah. This is not, that does not define who you are. Um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question well, but um, yeah, what do you think, Josh? No, I, I think that was a fantastic answer. Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons that um, people hang on to grief probably longer than is healthy and appropriate is because letting go of that grief feels like you're letting go of that thing that you're mourning. In other words, like grief is an expression of love because where you are grieving something, it's where you had something you loved and cared about that's no longer there. Right. Hmm. And so to let go of the grief, sometimes I think for people feels like letting go of that thing that you care a lot about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, what's hard about it. Um, so yeah, helping somebody see that man, you can always still have a remembrance of that thing without, um, you know, there, there's a healthy way to be healed from this, mm-hmm. and and making that connection to help them, like, hey, there's a way to look back on this with fondness and look back on this with, you know, gratitude that God gave you this without, um, you know, w- without seeing just all of the things that you had that you don't have now and then thinking, well, it's never going to be as good as it was back then. Well, the truth is with Christians, we, we have hope that the best is always to get to come right mm-hmm. in the kingdom. And so like, it's think of the book of Ecclesiastes that says, why do you ask yourself, why were the former days better than these? It's not from wisdom that you ask this. So mm. 
what we look back on and we remember with fondness. Yes, there probably were some things that you had then that you don't have now that you miss, but it, it's probably not as good as you remember it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's important to be grateful and to remember it with fondness and thank God for it, but also to release it to his plan. And I really think it's just a matter of trusting the Lord. Um, yeah. In terms of helping people through that, I think your answer was very, very appropriate. Listening, being there for them, yeah. being patient with them. So, When we can't confuse long-term grief with unforgiveness, because I think yeah. people lose loved ones that they that they were, they were dealt an injustice by a loved one and then that loved one dies suddenly and they don't have they don't have the opportunity to hear that loved one say I'm sorry. Mm. And so sometimes we 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 feel like unforgiveness towards that person or bitterness towards that person. Sure. And then they kind of won because they died. You know, it's like, oh man, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I I can't ever get resolution from that. I can't ever get justice from that. Right. And so I I I can't forgive them. Um, and so that sometimes manifests itself and looks a lot like grief, but is actually unforgiveness. Right. Um, and that's a whole other set of problems that we need to work through if that's the case. But sure. yeah, that's, that's tough. Yeah. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to, you want to take the final question for the episode or yeah. do you think we, are we out of time? Let's try to do one more. Um, right. gosh, I feel like. I think the last one I want to do. How about the one about an AI sentient? Oh, I was hoping we would <laughs> skip that one. <laughs> you hoping we skip that one? No, no, it's good. It's good. Okay. Yeah, this this is a tough. You want me to read the question? Yeah, read the question. And we'll both try, both try chime to, in. Yeah, we'll crack in. This is our last one. Yeah. Okay, it's it's an interesting question. If if the church could develop an AI personality, which pause right there. That's weird. Why would we develop an AI personality? Why would the body of Messiah <laughs> do that? That's yeah. okay. Maybe to be like an usher or a greeter and make the coffee for us in the lobby. <laughs> hey, solve that volunteer problem. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Go on a mission trip and paint that wall you painted last year. Yeah. Um, if the church could develop an AI personality, which perfectly obeyed the Ten Commandments, and that, and that AI were sentient and had a body through cloning or whatever, et cetera, would they still need to be saved? Hmm. Uh, so... Let me just back up and say that this question is better posed. We have to first kind of a prerequisite question we have to answer is if we were to do all that and develop an AI that was sentient and had a body and whatever, are they human? Hmm. Because only humans need salvation. I mean, right. the, the whole earth needs redeeming and restoration, but only humans are, the, they're the only organisms that need to be rectified back to God, that are that are that are, that have a sin problem and need to be rectified back to God. So is this thing human? The answer to that would be no, in my in my opinion. Um it is not a human. Uh it is it is soulless. It is a creation of mankind. So it is not a human. Um it does not have the image of God, although it looks like a human and maybe acts like a human and has a, is a very intelligent uh you know personality for lack of a better word but it's it's not a human and also even if it was human and it obeyed all the ten commandments perfectly that does not save a human so if i get a guy off the street and he is a wretched sinner right 
never heard the gospel in his life, and I teach him how to obey the Ten Commandments, and he obeys them perfectly, he still needs salvation. Yeah. He still needs forgiveness and a and 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 confession, repentance, and baptism. Um, so I think no to this number seven, this question. No, they they uh, I'm sorry, would they still need to be saved? No, they wouldn't because they're not human. Because they're not human. Yeah. 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 No, I, I I'm hundred percent agree with you. I think that uh, this is going to get more and more hairy, this issue of the Amago Day and AI systems and AI um, personalities. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with chat GPT. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. So my brother, um, he sent me a video of him basically saying, Hey, chat GPT, write a sermon about blank. And he said, Hey, look, <laughs> now all of your sermons can be written by AI. And I was like, Oh, look at there. Weird. So I downloaded it and just like, I, I was just asking chat BBT to do all this stuff. And basically this AI system can create more than I think any other AI system be able to create. So just for fun, I said, chat GPT, write a country song about a man who had a big buttocks. <laughs> All right. So here is what the AI system wrote. Verse one, he was a big man with a heart of gold. But it was his backside that stole the show. Folks around town couldn't help but stare at the size of the man's derriere. Mm. Chorus. Wow. He had a big old butt like a Cadillac truck. It was wider than a country road, and it brought him good luck. Hmm. 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 He never had to worry about sitting on hard chairs because his cushiony backside was always there. Hmm. The fact that an AI system wrote that hmm. is fascinating to me. Yeah. And it goes on. I mean, like I could read you the whole thing, and maybe if you're a songwriter and you live in Nashville and you're listening to this. Oh, here's the outro. This The outro is just the best part. Now he's gone, but his legacy lives on in the hearts of those who knew him best. And when they think of him, they'll always remember the man with the big old butt who was one of a kind. <laughs> i'm just so glad that you were like you're like i'm going to harness the potential of ai systems and write a country song about a man with a big butt yeah Uh, but it's crazy just how we're developing these ai systems faster and faster and faster and faster and faster mm -hmm. to the point to where the turing test is um where an AI system has become fully developed if someone can interact with it and be completely unaware that they're interacting with an AI system. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. getting very, 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 very close to that. Sure. So we are going to have to, I think, as Christians, be aware of the fact that humanity will always be distinct and set apart because we're made in the image and likeness of God. Hmm. And so no matter how much an AI personality or system will ever appear to look like a human, that they're not human. And so knowing the difference there, I think is going to be really interesting. I'm thinking of like Blade Runner now and all these, you know, futuristic movies and crazy stuff. Hmm. So 
Yeah, it's a I fascinating topic. I could talk about AI for a long time because I just think it's really interesting. But mm. so that's why you wanted to address that question because you wanted to read the man yes. with the big butt song. Yes, I did. It was on air. Yeah, because like if you're a songwriter in Nashville, we need you. Put that to music, and then shop it around the record labels. I'd love to hear Toby Keith. <laughs> We should get our we should get <laughs> Chat GBT to record our next episode so we can just sleep in. Yeah. Next episode. Speaking of which, what will, what will our next episode be about? Hmm. You know, we've got a bunch of questions we didn't get to with this one, so who knows? Maybe we'll just take one of these questions and yeah, fun with it. So who knows? But uh, it's been a, it's been an interesting one. One yeah, full of puppy dogs and. <laughs> and frivolities and bathroom breaks and chat GBT country songs what's, about big butts. And, yeah. <laughs> what's funny is I started off the episode making fun of Binks for having the poop. And you got to be careful what you Binks Binks. What goes around comes around, my friend. <laughs> Binks is like, I'm going to put a spell on you. Yes, he did. Uh, sorry, Binks. You can no, he's he's asleep now, yeah. so he sleeps most of the day. But mm. anyway. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for getting this far mm. in this crazy episode. Thank you for your questions. We always enjoy digging into them and, yeah, answering them. So if you have any more questions for us or you want more clarification on anything we just talked about, send us to an email, beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a comment on YouTube or Facebook, and uh, we will see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.